next we have Rose. Tilly introduced us and we want to be best friends already. So I'm very grateful to have her here. Ah, no one warned me, the rest of them were funny, so. <laughs> also, if I cry, don't feel awkward, it happens a lot. Um, I found it really interesting. Um, I met Tilly a few weeks ago, and we were chatting, as you do, over wine, and she mentioned that her friend was doing a storytelling thing about hope. Um, hope, for me, has been a difficult word the past few years. It's been something that I grew up with as a very foundational word, um, something that was taught to me from very early on and something that I felt like I lost about three, four years ago. I'll explain why. Um, so yeah, when she asked me to speak about hope, I kind of laughed because we had this whole conversation about faith and how I feel like I've lost my faith. And at first I was like, I'm like the last person you should ask to speak about hope because that's something that I don't have in the traditional way anymore. And then straight after these drinks, I was cycling home and my bike brakes failed on a highway, which was fun. Um, and so I had to walk my stupid bike home for like 45 minutes, which now I say it doesn't sound long at all, but it felt very dramatic at the time. And I was kind of just thinking about my life in Amsterdam and why I moved here and what I've learned from being here. And also in the back of my mind was this word hope. Um, probably should go back to the beginning a little bit. When I moved to Amsterdam, I would still have told you that I was a very committed evangelical Christian, um, which is not something that I would say now if I met you, but was I would say about 75% of my identity when I first moved here. Um, and on my first week here, I, I moved here for a master's. I did international development with Keika. Um, we've very quickly realized we can't change the world, um, but we're gonna try anyway. And um, also to get in touch with my Dutch roots a bit. And now I look back, I also realize maybe to not run away from something, but to give myself the chance to shut something off. Um, so I moved here and a weekend I thought, okay, I'm gonna cycle to church, I'm gonna you know, do the right thing. It become a big habitual part of my life. So I cycled to church in Vondel Park, beautiful place, um, and I did not go in. <laughs> I stood at the door and looked at it for a long time and I got back on my bike and cycled home. And I knew in my gut that that was the last time I was gonna go to church and Weirdly, I look back and laugh because it still took me months from that moment to say to my then housemate that I wasn't a Christian anymore. But it took me, I knew when I was cycling away from it that it wasn't because I was a bit hungover, it was because I just did not want to go. But it took me a long time to get there. Um, yeah, so kind of a bit of background. I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. Um, my parents are absolutely wonderful. They are community loving, they are, the most hospitable people I've ever met, um, but they are very conservative Christians. And my upbringing was maybe a bit on the strange side. Now I look back, I went to a fundamentally independent Christian school. Um, they couldn't receive government funding because of how much Bible was taught in subjects you wouldn't even, like ma maths somehow was Bible related, <laughs> like how many sins did Jesus die for? Yeah. Um, <laughs> A lot. Um, yeah, so it, it, 
looking back, I don't really know how we pass offset inspections, but we did. And kind of things like evolution were a side comment and the fact that God had designed his purpose for your life was kind of center focus of everything. My sex education was abstinence only. That was, that was literally it. Um, and I'm pretty sure we read a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which was um, a book for women about the fact that you should only date to marry because that is your purpose, um, to be a good wife and a good mother. Don't worry, Tim, I'm not. <laughs> not on that mindset anymore, I'm not looking for a ring. Um, and so that in kind of encapsulated my childhood, but it was also not something I look back on as like an oppressed thing that was necessary. It was something I loved. It was something that I found joy in. I found meaning in. I found hope in really, because you have this idea that there's a God who's created you, who has a plan for your life. And now I'm like, oh God, what's happening? But that's a different thing. Um, yeah, you kind of get used to this community, this worship, friends that pray for you when you're going through a hard time. And there's a lot wrong with the church, but there's also a really beautiful aspect of it. So then I went to university and I'd already had this kind of doubt growing in my mind, but I just crushed it. I was like, no, that is who you are. You're a Christian. This is 70% of your life. Um, so I went to university and I went to Bristol and I don't know if everyone's been, but Bristol was not the right place to go to <laughs> if you're a Christian and a very naive, <laughs> very naive one at that. Um, yeah, I kind of used to think that techno was for like, I don't know, devil worshippers. Um, <laughs> and like Christians are really scared of techno, it's so funny. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, so I went to Bristol and like very quickly started to enjoy some of the things that the church don't normally have as curricular activities. Um, and the whole way through, I would, I would go to church. I had a rule for myself that no matter how late I would go out on a Saturday night, I would always go to church, which looking back was a terrible rule <laughs> because, yeah, people saw me in states that should not be allowed in the church. Um, but that was my rule because I was convinced that this was the right way to do it. Even if you know there's doubt growing and you're not sure you really believe it, the habitual relationship with the church and with my faith was something I just couldn't let go of. So I kept going and it resulted in a very uncomfortable double life. And this took years for me to realize but I had two groups of friends, really. Half of them were lovely Christian friends who we'd play Scrabble together and like do community outreach together. And I still love them dearly, but they had no idea the other side of my life, which was I was starting to explore my sexuality. I was starting to explore drugs and music and things that they would never know about. But then I was speaking to Claudia and she was like, well, maybe give an anecdote to explain the fact that people didn't understand both sides of this life. And it, yeah, there's so many because I basically just embarrassed myself for two years thinking that no one knew and I'm pretty sure they all did bless them. But I remember one time very clearly, quite early on um, when I started to date non-Christian guys, which is very taboo, uh, felt very dangerous. <laughs> um, and I was like, I won't fall in love with them. It's fine. I won't marry, I'll marry a Christian, but I'll just date some non-Christians, you know. Um, and I was walking back, I went out, met a guy, was walking back early in the morning, carrying my contact lenses in a plastic bottle full of water because I'm really bloody blind. Um, and I couldn't wear them anymore. So I was like half kind of creeping back home and then I physically bumped into some friends who were on their way to church. And I clearly was wearing the clothes I was wearing the night before, like mascara all over my face, the whole shebang. And they just looked at me and I knew that they knew and I just still couldn't tell them. I would still give these testimonies at church. I led worship for a long time there. 
And then like, you know, it's a lot about purity and respect and honesty. And I was saying all of these things the whole time and it was just a sham, which is really hard for me to admit now because hypocrisy after sexual marriage is the worst thing in the church. And so I knew that I was as being this big hypocrite. And it took me a long time to realize that this was damaging myself, but also my friends, because they weren't knowing the real me. And I was kind of dragging them constantly through a lot of care and a lot of prayer for me, which is hard to explain, but takes energy because it's real. And when you're a Christian and you're praying for someone, that is energy you really take from yourself and you put into someone else. And people were doing that consistently for me when I knew that the minute I walked out of church, I was like, well, great. Like, that was nice. I'm off to the pub. Um, so when I moved to Amsterdam, I think I also knew there was a part of me that if I moved to London with the rest of Bristol, um, I would keep going to church. And I, I think I knew that in my gut, that the habitual blanket of a community and a faith, I would just not be able to leave because... One, there's the judgment of friends who'd be like, hey, where were you this Sunday? And also just missing that sense of community that had been a foundation for 21 years of my life. But I came here and uh, I cycled away from that church in Vondel Park. And it's difficult because the word hope is still something I'm looking at. And I wonder, one, what was that faith for me? What were those feelings that were so real for such a long time? Because they weren't false in a way, and I'm still trying to figure that out, but that's a bit meta, we won't go into that. Um, so I, got, I started going to therapy, which I found funny because um, the first time she was kind of like, so tell me what you're feeling. Actually, that's a lie, it was the dentist who was my first therapist, <laughs> bless him. I went to the dentist after my parents came to visit and they, don't, they didn't know that I wasn't a Christian at this point and we had an extremely emotionally heavy conversation. Um, I think they were starting to realize and I was absolutely fighting them knowing. For me, my parents knowing that I'm not a Christian was and still is the scariest thing. I would, on, I would rather tell them anything, anything than that, because um, I'm one of four, I'm the youngest, classic. And um, my two brothers aren't Christian and I've seen my parents dealing with that over life and I see the visceral pain it causes them and so to tell them to take my faith away from them as well as myself was like the scariest thing I could imagine. And um, they visited and it was heavy. And I went to the dentist the day after and I was in the, it, I was in the chair and he like, was like, hey, are you okay? And I just started crying, <laughs> like not even like, oh, like sobbing. And I think he was like, don't worry, we won't take any teeth out today. <laughs> like <laughs> your teeth look fine. I'm actually also very scared of the dentist, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, and bless him, he was the nicest man. And he asked me as I was okay. And he spoke with me so gently. And I left the office. And that day I booked my first therapy appointment. It's weird going to therapists being like, my problem is I don't know if there's a God or not. She's like, I can't answer that for you. But she, um, she was fantastic. And I think um, gave me the space to process it. And I think for me, the most hopeful thing that I'm learning now is that the pain that I feel that I'm causing my parents isn't something I'm willingly causing. It's a very difficult thing, but it's something that they feel and is very real for them, but I'm not causing it. And I don't think I'll ever fully believe that, um, but I'm on my way and I've made progress in the past three years. I honestly didn't think I'd make for about two decades. And I think moving here has been part of that. The friends I've met here have been part of that. Um, 
and like pushing myself out of my comfort zone has all been part of that. And I did tell my parents um, last Christmas with my dad in the car, um, pretty forced situation. I think, you know, classic dad kind of chats. And um, he was giving me the, all these excuses, COVID and, and difficulties in moving Amsterdam and finding a new church. And I ended up just blushing it out. It was like the most awkward and painful conversation, but it was also extremely cathartic. And um, it will be a difficult journey, I think, for the next probably, th I know they'll pray for me and to be converted for the rest of my life. And that's quite heavy. But for the first time, I feel like when I'm around my parents, I'm being the honest version of myself. And I'm still trying to, classic sentence, figure that out. <laughs> I think we all are and probably will be um, for a very long time. But for the first time around my parents and those Christian friends, and most importantly to myself, I feel like I'm being honest. Thank <laughs> you.